You are listening to Tell It From Calvary, a ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, New York City, where we preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. The following sermon is by Dr. Ed Stetzer, author, missiologist, and interim teaching pastor at Calvary. For upcoming events and services, visit our website at cbcnyc.org. And now, here is today's message. Hey, Calvary family. It is so great to see you again. You know, we know we're starting a new series. We just finished the book of Philippians, and now we're launching a new series called The King, The Kingdom, and The King's Gospel According to Matthew. And today I want to look particularly at the compassion of Jesus from Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. We're going to walk through that today. Now, Matthew chapter 8 and 9 is between two major sermons of Jesus, and that's what we're going to look at. We're going to walk through these today. And, uh, and to do so, I think you're going to find some incredible truth. Partly what I'm trying to do is sort of introduce the totality of the gospel of Matthew. And so we're timed it kind of to do some of that. And uh, we'll have a guest speaker next week. And so I'm kind of moving around and jumping through Matthew. And then in about three weeks, we're just going to start right at the beginning with the begats. You know, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. But I'm so glad uh, to be able to share God's word with you again. Matthew 8 and 9 is going to be where we draw our passage. Not all of Matthew 8 and 9, but part of Matthew 8 and 9. And these are kind of between two major sermons of Jesus. So Matthew chapter 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount, right? The most important teaching given by the most important teacher who ever lived. Uh, So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5 verses, um, well, all the the way through chapters 5 through 7 in the weeks to come. Matthew chapter 10 is also a sermon commissioning the disciples as they go on mission. But here, between what we're going to look at today is taken from Matthew 8 and 9. It's kind of between these two major messages of Jesus. And Jesus gives some remarkable insight into prayer that leads to action. So in a sense, we go from kingdom living in Matthew chapter 5 through through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, to kingdom mission in Matthew chapter 10. But in the middle, we get a reminder of kingdom-focused prayer and also, what I love most here is, is actually the compassion of Jesus. So as we look at the Gospel of Matthew, right, we're looking at the king, the kingdom, we're looking at the king, the kingdom, and the king's gospel according to Matthew. This is part two. We did, Two weeks ago, we did part one. And we're going to look specifically at Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. So hopefully you've turned there and we'll be able to walk through that together. Matthew chapter 9. Verses 35 through 38 is going to be uh, our focus. So if you have your Bible open, you'll be able to follow along with me uh, as I read the passage. Okay, here it is. Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 35. It says, uh, And Jesus went throughout all uh, all their cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out uh, laborers into his harvest field. So that's what we're looking at today and walking through today is this passage. And I just want to start us to pray with prayer as we kind of walk through this Gospel of Matthew. 
Father, we do pray that you would guide us as we look to your word, help us to engage your word faithfully, help us to be shaped by the gospel of Matthew as we walk through this powerful book together as a church here at Calvary, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Okay, so we've read Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. But I want you to see that we live in a world that is very outraged right now, very angry all the time, pretty consistently upset all the time. And the question is, how do we look to the compassion of Jesus in a world that's outraged? Now, just so you know, I'm very passionate about this, wrote a book on it called Christians in the Age of Outrage. But I kind of want to start talking a little bit about an outrageous moment that actually might point us to something else. Um, the, guy, the guy's name is Caleb Kaltenbach. You can actually Google his name, find it pretty easily. He's an evangelical pastor, and he goes into a Costco. You may have seen this on the news. He goes into a Costco, and what he sees in that Costco is um, later in the news everywhere. You can see it on the screen. Costco, the Bible is fiction, Fox News screams in its headline. Uh, BuzzFeed says Costco accidentally labeled the Bible as fiction. Um, other places say Costco labels the Bible as fiction. Costco labels the Bible as fiction. Costco labels the Bible as fiction across the story. Now, here's the challenge, right? So um, the, the guy who actually is behind all this story is a guy named Caleb Kaltenbach. He's a friend of mine. He goes into Costco. He takes a picture, snaps that picture, posts that picture, and the end result is he's all over the news. The problem is Caleb has spent his life trying to build a compassionate bridge between people who deeply disagree. Caleb, was he wrote a book called Messy Grace. He's the opening illustration in my book, Christians in the Age of Outrage, because Caleb has built bridges, particularly with the LGBTQ plus community, because he was actually raised by two moms who both identified as lesbians. Um, he then becomes a Christian, uh, becomes a follower of Jesus, begins to align his views about sexuality with the teachings of scripture, and really is just known as someone who helps Christians sort of build this bridge. But this is not the only time and place we see these things. Maybe you remember, not that long ago, another controversy, the, uh, the Starbucks Red Cup controversy, right? So Starbucks hates Jesus, pastor says, as Red Cups brew up controversy. Get it? Brew up, Chicago Tribune there. Um, here, here's the thing I don't want you to, again, actually miss. Um, this became a huge controversy, right? This was all over the news. This pastor was actually an internet pastor. I don't really know quite how to describe an internet pastor, but pastor at church, but he has millions of followers who retweet his consistent outrage about one thing after another. Now, the challenge is that Starbucks actually uh, has never put Jesus on a cup. They've never, we can actually look and see their past cups. Their Christmas themes are consistently innocuous and, uh, and secular in nature. And yet now what we find out is Starbucks hates Jesus, according to, well, this internet pastor. Now, I've got to tell you, stuff like this does not help us to engage the culture with the gospel and does not line our thinking and actions up with the thinking and actions of Jesus. And this passage here is going to help us to do that. And so we're going to look at today in this passage a series of um, three things that we actually see the who Jesus is. Now remember, we're starting the Gospel of Matthew, and there are four Gospels, and they're written for what we call canonical Gospels. Those are included in the canon of Scripture. They measured up to the teaching of the uh, 
of the early church. They, the early church recognized that God had uniquely and inerrantly inspired these books, four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Matthew is written to an audience. We're going to talk about that uh, as we go through the Gospel of Matthew. But Matthew is uh, written to primarily Jewish Christians or people in that uh, Jewish milieu of the first century, persuading them of the gospel. And in doing so, Matthew gives us some great opportunities, more, more than even Mark, Luke, and John, to look at the teaching of Jesus and the kingdom implications of that teaching as well. So we're going to look at that as we walk through this. Remember, the series is the king, the kingdom, and the king's gospel according to Matthew. So we're going to start here with the good news of the kingdom. We're going to start here with the good news of the kingdom. Here in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, it says this, And Jesus went throughout all their cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and affliction. Okay, so this is the beginning of the passage, right? We get a picture um, from the text that uh, Jesus is doing certain things. Now, a couple things just for you to be aware of. Uh, this language here, the language, and Jesus went throughout the villages, cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, uh, healing every disease and affliction, is actually a very uh, significant, uh, well, it's used in a significant way by Matthew. It actually repeats... Matthew chapter 4, uh, verse 23, almost verbatim. Let me, it's not on your screen, but let me, just, let me just read it to you. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, it says, They went throughout all the Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So what's the deal with that? Is Matthew forgetting? No. Matthew is, I'm going to explain different kinds of literary tools and literary forms as we walk through uh, the gospel of Matthew. But it repeats uh, Matthew 4.23 almost verbatim because uh, Matthew uses this to reset a passage, to reset a theme. And so in Matthew 4.23, uh, we actually looked, if you remember last time, we actually looked when we were looking at Matthew. We looked at Matthew chapter 4 and we went up to verse 17 and focused on verse 17. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Then he calls his first disciples and then... It's a reset, right? It says, and he went throughout all of Galilee teaching in their synagogues. Okay, so this is what Jesus does. Matthew's using it as a literary tool to tell us a new section's about to begin. So the new section that's about to begin in, in Matthew 4.23 is the Sermon on the Mount. The new section here that's about to begin is actually going to be a new sermon about mission to the disciples. But before that sermon, we have some really remarkable teaching about Jesus. Because here Jesus is teaching, preaching, and healing um, but we're just about to come up. Remember, we're between Matthew 5 through 7, which is the teaching of Jesus, uh, and Matthew 10, which is, well, ultimately the teaching of the disciples. Jesus actually commissions, uh, sends them out on mission, the disciples. So the big shift here is, you know, Matthew's making a shift, right? So when he, when he says that he, he goes about teaching in their synagogues and uh, healing every disease, he's making a shift. The big shift here is that before now, this is Jesus' ministry. Now it's going to be their ministry. And the prayer that we're going to see uh, is the bridge. So Matthew 9.35 is a restatement of Jesus' ministry and a prayer we're going to see for people to join in that ministry, a prayer for people to join in that ministry. Now, again, that shouldn't surprise us because Jesus actually calls his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, so why does this matter to us? Boy, doesn't that matter to us in a world that's still broken, in a world that's still struggling with injustice, in a world that's still in the midst of confusion and more? You know, let's, let's not miss that we're having conversations in and around uh, black history. Right, So we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, that the world would be a place where racial justice is more evident. And, and, and important for us to not miss that reality. And lots of other realities where we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, the world's broken. There's a lot of division. Jesus calls us to a kingdom vision. Okay, I don't want you to miss this, right? Listen again to Matthew 9.35, because the, the point here gets right at this, right? Matthew 9.35 speaks about the kingdom mission, the good news of the kingdom. So Jesus went throughout all their cities and villages. You know that's a reset in the text. Teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and affliction. So he's going about proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Now that's what we're going to have shape our lives. Matthew's going to help us to shape our lives around the kingdom of heaven. But too many Christians have been discipled by their cable news channel. They've been spiritually shaped by their social media feed. Matthew reminds us that Jesus has a kingdom mission and a kingdom vision. We talked last week, uh, last time in Matthew, about the subversive kingdom. Well, this is it, the gospel of the kingdom. So it doesn't end there, though, right? Number two on our outline is the needs of the world around us. This is verse 36, the needs of the world uh, around us. Let's take a look at what it lays out for us in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion. He had compassion for them because, oh, no, don't miss this, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Let me explain a few things about that passage. So he sees the crowds. This is a key where we're actually, um, we're getting kind of inside the emotions of Jesus. So Matthew's not just saying what he did. He did that in, in the verse before in Matthew 9.35. He says, and resetting the text, uh, went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching, etc. But in verse 36, he says, when he saw the crowds, Matthew tells us something about what Jesus is feeling. He says, he, Jesus, had compassion for them. I'm going to explain the word compassion in just a minute. It's a very significant word uh, in the original language. Hard for us to translate into English. Uh, for them, because they were harassed and helpless. Also strong words, torn about, right? Um, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the great shepherd, right? He's the one who wants the sheep to be in his fold. So he sees those, G Matthew explains, he sees those as outside of his shepherding care in danger, being tossed, tossed and torn about, and he has compassion for them. He has compassion for them. So this becomes a key thing, right? So he sees the crowds. He has compassion for them. They're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And we're going to learn a little Greek today, right? Because if, if you have a paper Bible, right, take it out and you can actually circle the word compassion. Maybe put an exclamation point next to it because it's much more than our English word can complain, uh, can explain, excuse me. It's, it's like nizomai is how they would say it in the Greek. And what that means is, and a very technical definition, is to be moved in the inward parts, literally to be moved as to one's bowels, which, again, we think of that, we don't use that in the same way today. But 2,000 years ago, to be moved at the core of your being with compassion, to have compassion, the, the, the bowels were thought of 
as the seat of compassion, love, and pity, you probably still feel it too. You feel hurt in the pit of your stomach, bowels, right? So literally, this would be moving bowels, but not the way we mean it today. But to the pit of our stomach, we actually see it and feel it. Think of it in, uh, we just went through Philippians, right? So let me just use a Philippians reference. Philippians chapter 1, verse 8 says, For as God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So think of it sort of like that, this yearning with deep affection. So from its context, it's like this gut-wrenching, heart-melting, aching heart for his people. Love that hurts deeply. Love that hurts deeply. You know, I got to tell you, um, you know, Don and I started dating when we were in high school. I went through some old pictures recently. So if you follow me on or we're friends on Twitter or Facebook, you see some old pictures lately. On Thursdays, I'm posting Throwback Thursday, pictures of Donna and me. We went, I started dating in high school, went to the prom together. And, but there have been times, I think of one time in particular, when she was sick and nobody knew why or how. She just, um, she had probably a flu, but for some reason she collapsed and fainted and we took her to the hospital and, and we did all these tests and, and she was fine. But they could, and to this day, they don't know why. They say sometimes that just happens to people and when they have the flu. And we were, I don't know, even our 20s or something. And all I could say is I was feeling in the depth of my stomach a compassion for Donna. And I deeply ached for her, right? And I, and I hurt for her. And I just, wanted to, I just wanted to somehow see her be better and feel better and more. But I remember... I remember the depth of that compassion. Like, you know, it just, it just passed before our eyes and it was this in your bowels, depth of compassion. So if that relates to you, maybe you've seen a child, your child suffer or your parents suffer and you see the helplessness. You know, Donna was helpless. She was unconscious. I was helpless. I didn't know what to do. I just hurt for her. So we don't have an English word that translates well for this. For this. So Jesus, um, his heart went out like a gut punch, a heart going out and more, because they were like sheep, torn and helpless, right? So we get this sort of torn and helpless idea. They were just overwhelmed by this. And Jesus just speaks to them on more than one occasion. Jesus actually calls us to move into that sort of relationship with him that actually addresses the deepest need of our heart because of the depth of his compassion. He's going to address the deepest need of our heart because of the depths of his compassion. So if you're a note taker, jot down number two, the needs of the world around us and see the words. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were like, um, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So that's that's how Jesus is seeing and burdened for. Literally, Matthew wants us to know the depth of his emotion that English doesn't translate well. But this is, shouldn't surprise us. I mean, Jesus is the one who says himself, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and uh, he was a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand, hired hand. This is all from John 10. Right? So Jesus says, on the other hand, I know my own, my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I love that. So Jesus, throughout the New Testament, throughout the Gospels, we're going to see this happen a lot in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus frequently prayed, coming back from the prayer, saw people searching for him, 
and he had compassion for them. Pretty recurring theme. Pretty recurring theme. We actually see throughout the uh, throughout the New Testament, right? Here's another example, right? In Matthew 14, 13 and 14, which we'll get to as we walk through Matthew. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, when the crowds heard it, right, they, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So compassion is, again, so identifying with the needs of others that you must act, right? We think of that today, right? Don and I support um, Compassion International. We we uh, support a child. I think they use the word adopt, but um, we support a child. And we do so because our compassion for the global poor, and we give you know to ministries that, that minister among the global poor, it, it, compassion is so identifying with the needs of others, you must act. So, so in acting, we actually... We actually are much like Jesus, and, and we relate, help people to understand uh, the fullness of who Jesus is. So as we look to the Gospel of Matthew, I really want you to, to not miss the fullness of what we are going to discuss. Matthew, well, why would Matthew be this way? Why would Matthew care so much about the teachings of Jesus that he'd want to articulate to him? Remember who he is. He's a tax collector. He's a pretty significant outcast and sinner in that day. And yet Jesus is at work and changes him. And there's a transformation of his heart and more. So before we even get to the prayer of Jesus, let's look at the message of Jesus, right? We see the message of Jesus just laid out before us in the ideas of the kingdom, right? So very clearly, it's the good news of the kingdom, but it doesn't end there. It's the good news of the kingdom that's then followed by the needs of the world around us. And, but it doesn't end there, right? In just a moment, we're going to get to the prayer that really reflects the need for a Savior. But let's not miss this moment when we're talking first about the gospel of the kingdom, which we addressed some a couple of weeks ago. Second, about the needs of the hurting world around us. Let's dwell on that for a moment before we jump into, thirdly and finally, the need of a Savior. So what would the third reality be that we want to look at today, right? Well, let's let's take a look. Um, here, here it is here. The, number three is the need for a Savior, the need for a Savior. I want you not to miss the beauty of this verse, right? So here, Matthew lets us in on Jesus' message, the kingdom of God. He lets us in on Jesus' compassion, uh, that he had compassion for them. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Here it says, Then he said to the disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So Jesus tells us to pray for the harvest. Okay, I love that. He tells us to pray for the harvest and to pray for the Lord to send workers in the harvest specifically is what he says. It says pray earnestly. Another way to explain it in English, how serious this is, to pray earnestly. So back to our passage, keeping in mind where this is between kingdom living and kingdom mission, keeping in mind that we're listening to the gospel of Matthew and the king, the kingdom, and the king's gospel, according to Matthew, that Matthew is trying to communicate to us, not trying to, succeeding in communicating to us, significant principles about who Jesus is and ultimately his mission and ministry. So sometimes then we have to respond. If we understand Jesus' message, the kingdom of God, and his, um, we understand his heart, his compassion, what does that mean for us? So keeping in mind where this is between kingdom living, Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, kingdom mission, Matthew 10, 
when he commissions, and we're going to get to those. We're going to spend a lot of time in the Sermon on the Mount. But sometimes we're going to see the worker and the harvest is you because that's exactly what happened with the disciples. Remember the context here. This is the pivot point when they move from being those who receive Jesus' message to being those who tell Jesus' message. He's about to send them on mission. And he wants them to pray for people on mission, right? So let me give you an example. So I have, um, I just was spending a couple, a few days with my my middle daughter, who's my, uh, I will not name her, but you could Google and see, but my middle daughter's my messy daughter. She kind of always has a mess. And we went up to take a couple days off and uh, also spoke at a meeting up in our northern campus in Wisconsin. And I took her out ice fishing for a day, right? Had a, had a super great time uh, in, in ice fishing. And uh, caught fish. Didn't just catch ice, but actually caught fish. So that's, 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 that's great. But um, when she was there, like always, she's kind of a mess. And just kind of leaves stuff everywhere. And the other two aren't. And it's, it's a mystery to us. But anyway, so uh, one time a few years ago, I stood in her room. And I said, you would think that teenagers in our community, I mentioned our town, Wheaton is where I live. I said, you'd think the teenagers in Wheaton would know at this point to clean their rooms. Now, that seems like a strange thing. Did I really mean teenagers in Wheaton or did I really mean her? Um, And I really meant her. And in a sense, that's kind of what's going on here. Um, Jesus is actually going to say some very specific things. Let's look again. He's he's about to say, uh, what he says in the text, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, pray earnestly, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So I want you not to miss this. Um, Matthew 10, he tells them, and he called the 12 to him and gave them authority over unclean spirits. I want you to not miss any of what's going on here, right? So Matthew, at this point, then writes, he called the 12 together, gave them authority, unclean spirits, then lists the names of them. And then, verse uh, 5, then the 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them. So he literally says, pray for the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest field based on his kingdom message and his kingdom compassion. Then he says to the disciples, oh, you're going to be those people going into that harvest field. So it's really beautiful when you get it in context. That's going to be the beauty of walking through the gospel of Matthew together is to walk through the fullness of that context. So the disciples are instructed to pray and in the very next verse, fulfill that, the very next chapter, fulfill that prayer. So we are also the laborer. Sometimes the work on the harvest and the answer to prayer is you. So I was convicted of this in my own life. Um, a few years ago, you know, I was writing books on mission and church and evangelism, and I decided I needed to engage my neighbors more. So Donna and I uh, mapped out our neighborhood. We actually put the names and the uh, we actually drew a map of the neighborhood and said we want to share the gospel with everybody in our neighborhood in the next few years. And we had the privilege of doing that. Seven of eight of our neighbors, not inviting them to church. We invited eight of eight of the neighbors to church who didn't know the Lord. But the neighbors, you might say, why didn't we share the gospel with eight of eight? The persons next to us didn't seem to like us. And they didn't like our kids on their lawn. And I guess every neighborhood has someone like that. I remember uh, I remember when I was in uh, Levittown, there was a neighbor through doors down that you just didn't walk on her lawn or they'd come out and yell at you, chase you with a broom. Right? It made it exciting uh, in New York those days. But, but here for us, we actually had the privilege of sharing the gospel with seven of eight of our neighbors. Why? Because, well, because the gospel message of Jesus, the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, right? The, the, the kingdom of God message of Jesus. Now, Matthew uses the phrase kingdom of heaven, and I'm going to explain more about that in the days to come, but partly because he's writing to a Jewish audience, but he tends to use the term interchangeably 
Um, Jewish people wouldn't use the word God as, as, as much, but the kingdom of heaven. And so we get this, you know, the message, the kingdom of heaven message in the, in the reset in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. In verse 36, we get the compassion. And in verse, 30, um, in verse 37, we get the prayer. And this, is, this shouldn't surprise us. This prayer should not surprise us at all. This is very much similar to what Jesus has said in many other places, right? He has said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, right? And, and that's really key, right? So um, he says, uh, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Now, here's the deal. I want to come back to where I started because I started with a couple of examples because I think we're at a point where we need to remind one another from the scriptures, from the gospels, but from all the scriptures, uh, that the mission of Jesus is maybe been misunderstood by, by a lot of people. Some Christians really want to be mad, not on mission. That's why that Starbucks Red Cup video, I think got like 19 million hits last time I read it. Can I just tell you, Jesus isn't calling us to go on a rampage against Starbucks saying they hate Jesus, um, or Costco for that matter. By the way, the uh, the general, the national, what would you call it first? The CEO of Costco at the time that this happened was a devout Catholic. Um, and so, so the idea that Costco is part of some conspiracy, but this is too prevalent in the church. Um, and I want to just say to you um, that we need a better way. And I, I'm guessing for most of us at Calvary, you're like, okay, no, we, we live in the city. We're already thinking this way. But I want you to know that's not always the case. And for all of us, we need to be driven more by the, um, well, the teachings of the scriptures, right? The, the fact that Jesus um, teaches the good news of the kingdom, right? The fact that Jesus talks, saw, Matthew helps us to see Jesus' compassion for the needs of the world around us. So imagine if our lives were driven by the good news of the kingdom, right? The king, gospel of the kingdom preached uh, and its message and the ministry that flows out of it, the needs of the world around us. And thank God for the many needs that we've been engaging with as Calvary. We're not done. We got more to do, but, but ultimately it lines up over and over again with the teachings of Jesus. But it has to remind us number three and remember uh, the, the, the need for a savior. So the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. I, I want to encourage you to be among the laborers uh, in this harvest. As a matter of fact, I promise you, every time you pray this prayer for the Lord to send people to harvest, he will answer this because you are sent into the world. Uh, your heart is the harvest that ultimately God is laboring for here. Your obedience in laboring, uh, that God, God uses your obedience to bring about um, the spreading of the gospel where men and women respond to it. So I want to be among those. I want you to be among those who consistently answered this prayer. And when we prayed for the Lord of the harvest, that ultimately we said, here I am, Lord, send me. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, first of all, thank you for, for being here, right? Uh, this is important time. We're talking about the king, the kingdom, and the king's gospel, according to Matthew. And here we see the compassion of Jesus laid out before us. And I love the full depth of his compassion that we see evident. And he's calling you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you today to respond by grace and through faith. I'm going to give you the opportunity in just a moment to pray. If you are a follower of Jesus, I hope your excitement is growing as we walk closer and closer towards the true beginning, the Matthew 1-1 beginning of the king, the kingdom, and the king's gospel, according to Matthew. There's so much here, but the compassion of Jesus is threaded throughout this entire book. And in doing so, he has a compassion for those who don't know him, it's deep compassion for us. May we respond to the Lord and say, here I am, Lord, send me. Would you pray with me? 
Father, we acknowledge that you have uh, redeemed a people, that you are drawing men and women to yourself, that you're transferring them from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved Son. Father, I pray for those who may be watching. I pray um, for those who may not know the Lord. I pray that their heart would be open even now. They'd hear the compassion of Jesus and they'd respond to how the Holy Spirit's prompting them. And if, if that's you today, I just want to invite you to pray with me, to pray um, to trust and follow Jesus. You can pray this simple prayer if it's the prayer of your heart. Uh, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. I want you to be my Savior. I trust and follow you as Lord. Father, I pray for those who may have just received that new life, that you would begin them on a journey, and what a great place to start as we walk through the Gospel of Matthew together. I pray for all of us, Lord, that we hear this prayer. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest field, and that might burden us not to join with some of the foolishness that sometimes Christians are known for, but to be faithful and fruitful in your mission. Because when you tell us to pray for the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest field, we know that those workers include us. For it's in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Tell It From Calvary. If you feel led to give toward the local, national, and global ministries of Calvary Baptist, please visit cbcnyc.org slash give or call us at 212-975-975. 0170. We hope you join us next time as we continue to tell it from Calvary.